everyone, Robbie here and welcome to the Coach's Journey podcast episode 8. And today's episode is a slightly different kind of episode. Instead of the normal format of me interviewing a guest, uh, this uh, this episode we do have a guest, but the guest is me. Uh, not not just me, but me from the past. Uh, da, dun, dun, dun. Um, so basically, in this episode, I wanted to bring together some of the a load of the work and thinking that I've done around coaching in one place. And so this episode, the structure of it is basically uh, the audio from a series of four videos that I've made at different times about the nuts and bolts of coaching and how I run my business and where I've learned that and why I do certain things. And then in between each video uh, is me listening back for the first time, I think, to pretty much all of them. Uh, and then throwing in a few extra thoughts, um, some pulling out some ideas that I think are important, maybe expanding on a few things here and there. Um, so what it means is this is kind of a, a it's a one a bit for coaching geeks, right? There's what we don't get in this one is me telling my story. Uh, so if you if you're really a fan normally of the human bits of these of these interviews, we don't get much of that. We just get a, we get a bit of it here and there. Um, but if you're a fan of the kind of when when I get pretty granular with other coaches, then you'll really like this episode because it's me doing that uh, in real detail on on several different areas. Um, so those areas are uh, why I work with clients over a period of time, not a number of sessions, and how I structure my coaching engagements. Then how I think about and structure my first conversation with a potential client, how I set it up, loads of the actual language I use. Uh, me talking about marketing for coaches, particularly the importance of continuing to connect with people, of sharing yourself in some way and and giving people a chance to get to know you before they meet you and the importance of just doing great coaching. And then last of all, money and my coaching fees and how they've evolved over time. And again, and getting into pretty granular detail about that. Um, but there's loads of other little bits and pieces in there. There's like why it's important to compare the price, what a price feels like per session versus period of time. The rule I have for making network networking events more manageable for me because I find them quite tiring. Um, the importance of leadership as a coach uh, and wh- how it's vital to do the sums when it comes to the fees that you charge as a coach. So there's loads and loads of detail in here um, uh, that I think, you you know, if you're a coach and you're building a coaching business, you'll have loads to take away. Um, some of you may have heard some of these videos before. Um, I bet you haven't heard all of them, though, um, because most of them, uh, some of them, like the the marketing one, I, listen, I say it in one of the uh, kind of um, bits in between videos, the videos, but... Um, I, you know, it's like, it's great. I really like what I say in that one. There's loads of great ideas in there that I've pulled from different places. And, um, but it's the least watched of all of them. Uh, but, but so I doubt you've listened to all of them. Uh, if you have, then it's a good chance to revisit them because they're dense with, dense with, um, detail. And also, like I say, there's a, a load of, a few extra little bits and pieces thrown in, in between each video. So, um, before I, I kind of dive in, you know, it was really interesting. I was wondering about editing it more, but I've kind of left the intros in there. They're kind of cute. <laughs> um, they were done. And it also gives a bit of context for why I made the different videos. Um, they're made in 2018 and 2019. So over a period of about a year, I think. Um, like I said, I don't think I'd watched any of them back. So it's really nice to come back to them fresh. You can hear that from me and the little bits in between them. They're in the order that I made them because they sometimes talk about each other, even though that doesn't perhaps... That, you know, it might have made slightly more sense in some ways to group them. It felt nice to have them in chronological order. Um, yeah, and you'll get to hear <laughs> you'll get to hear what my wife Emma calls 
my coaching voice at times during it. Maybe I do that all the time on the podcast anyway, but um, there's definitely some times where I'm uh, doing my like I'm on video voice. Um, the last thing just to say is like it was really interesting. I had like a series of people uh, in like 2017, I think, at different times telling me, do you know what, Robbie, I think you should do videos, like three, four, five people. And then you'll hear me. Um, so I kind of had that in mind and thought, yeah, maybe I should. And then um, you'll hear the, the story of the first video was basically that the, the, this guy, Sam, who I know, who at the time had just finished his coaching training. Uh, he, great guy. Uh, I'll link to him in the show notes. You can go and check out his um, his website and all that kind of thing. Uh, he's always got great LinkedIn headlines as well. It was like procrastination sniper at one point or something like that. Anyway, Sam had rung me up to ask me about charging over a period of time, not a number of sessions, because I'd kind of referenced it at some point in a group call he'd been on. And then um, we had this great conversation, and then I was like, ah, I should, that's the video. Uh, and then since then, I've I've made a bunch of them, and they speak to that stuff that I'll get to in the third video about allowing people to get to know you before they meet you. So I, I that's how I made the videos. And if you've had the curiosity to, um, to do that kind of thing, I really recommend it. Uh, and yeah, I hope you get loads out of this episode. There's so much great detail in there. Um, yeah, and also because I've got a little bit of extra time in the intro, I wanted just to say um, I hope you're enjoying the music of my good man, William. Uh, shout out to Josh and Will in particular from the band. Uh, it's so great to use that music on here. I hope you enjoy that. And I hope you enjoy all the bits and pieces that um, that I share over the next uh, hour and a half or so. Uh, and uh, if you do, then just before we dive in to say, depending on when you listen to this, there's probably still just about time if you're interested to join my group program for coaches, which is why I created a couple of the videos that we'll hear the audio from in this episode. Um, originally to support the participants on that program, we get into loads of great stuff like the stuff in these in this episode on that program and and way more. So if you're curious about that and, and taking your business to a new level, coaching business in 2020, do check out thecoachesjourney.com. But uh, that's enough from this wonderful, uh, long, lengthy, spacious intro. Uh, and let's dive into the Coaches Journey podcast, episode eight, with me, Robbie Swale. Hi there, I'm Robbie Swale, I'm a coach based in London and I'm here yeah, on this dark, windy night in Battersea uh, to record this short video. Um, it's a video about why I sell coaching uh, packages uh, as me being someone's coach over a period of time rather than me being someone's coach for a period of sessions. Um, I, the f- idea for this video came because I had a great phone call with a, a new coach who just finished his training that I know called Sam. And he came with a list of questions for me because uh, we'd had a brief exchange about pricing and coaching packages and all that kind of thing. And after his brilliant questions, I left the call and thought I really should have recorded that because I've thought a lot about this, uh, a lot about how to run my business, a lot about why what I do works and when it doesn't work as well and what to change. And I've learned from a lot of people, like I'm a kind of serial learner, get really interested in the business of coaching and who does it and want to learn from them as well as the practice of coaching. Um, and I see it a lot. I feel like sometimes, I mean, sometimes it's, you see it on someone's website and you just think, I just think, well, you could just be serving your clients so much more powerfully and making life so much easier for you if you just sold your coaching differently. 
Now, of course, this is all my thinking, and everyone, uh, is many successful coaches out there who, who do things very differently to me, I'm sure. Um, so the, the offer here is listen to me, see what I have to say. If you're a coach, take on board the things that sound great and leave the ones that don't. Uh, and remember that, you know, anything you steal from anyone ever is, when you deliver it, it's never going to be theirs, right? It's always going to have your flavor. So I'm going to start by talking a little bit about my journey or the journey of my coaching packages. Um, when I first started the first coaching I sold, I sold six sessions uh, f- uh, for one hour each every two weeks uh, for 180 pounds, so 30 pounds a session. And I saw two of those in one day and like my mind blew that people were up for this with me and that they would pay me money. Um, huh. And then I, I played that out, I think with four or five, 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 maybe six clients actually. Um, although a couple of them were, one of them was shorter and one of them was slightly different. But I played that out. Um, and as I did it, I noticed some things. And, and particularly there were two times when like I wanted to do extra coaching with people and I felt like the way I was selling it wasn't serving me, it wasn't helping me help the clients. Those two things were, uh, one, we'd, we'd, so at the start of the engagement, we'd set some objectives for that engagement for those six sessions. And like with one of my early clients, we weren't there. We needed an extra session. And in the end, I gave it to him and I felt like this is the thing I need to do because we need to get there, right? But I also had this thought, but shouldn't he be paying me an extra 30 pounds? Now, 30 pounds is nothing to a lot of people like that. But at the time, for me, it was still like, am I being undervalued here? Am I undervaluing myself? And the second one was a client who, in the middle of the engagement, had a, God, an important meeting or something going on at home and really wanted to have, a, have an extra conversation with me, knew that coaching would help. And yet, asking became an awkward conversation because am I going to charge her an extra amount of money? Uh, awkward for her, she has to think about that. Awkward for me because then I have to go, well, look, I just want to help this woman, right? So why should I be thinking about, uh, like, do I have to have a money conversation here? That's not helping anyone. And then at some point now, I bought some coaching from a new coach, Joel Monk. And Joel sold me six months of coaching. I signed up for a six-month engagement and it was more money than I expected to pay, but I also got a lot more coaching than I was expecting to get. I'd never come across anyone selling coaching like that. And uh, and as I reflected on what I was going to sell from then on, I realized I wanted to move more in that direction. So I'd noticed that also my, my six sessions tended not to fit equally into every two weeks. So I decided not to sell the three months, which would have just been what I was selling, but calling it months, but make it four. Because then we'd get that work done. And if we needed an extra session on the end, we'd get it. And that's what I sold. Until about six months ago, that's the package I've sold pretty much to everyone that, that has signed up with me. Not to everyone, because uh, sometimes it's not quite right. And I do some associate work as well. But that's been my preferred way of working. And the way it works is uh, someone's, we have sessions that are 60 or 90 minutes. They're every two or three weeks usually. But here, and here's the important point. So, so you, can see the, you can see the flexibility already built in there. I knew that was important. But here's the important point. Here's what solves the first part of solving that problem that I'd seen. Which is that what I say to clients is, if you need some extra time with me, you can get in touch. Something comes up, like often it does. In fact, I tell clients... It happens with most of my clients. At some point during the engagement, something will turn up. There'll be a difficult meeting that'll just be dumped on you or a presentation or maybe you'll just have a terrible day or something will go on, a new opportunity and you'll think, you know what, I'd really like some extra time with Robbie on this. I think he could really help me. 
And so at that point, they can just get in touch. And the, what I tell them is, if I've got the time, I'd love to support them because I love being with my clients on their journey. And the other piece is, it's usually every two or three weeks, but sometimes we need a bigger break than that. There's a big project going on, everyone's busy, we can have a longer break. And more commonly, sometimes we need to put more sessions in. I had one client who had a big review meeting at the end of the first month of our engagement. So we did a session a week pretty much for that first month to get her ready for that meeting, to get all our work up and going. And then we just carried on a two or three week pattern for the rest of the engagement. But that was really powerful and a powerful part of it for her. And that's, yeah, that's how I played for quite a while, for probably like 18 months. And then about six months ago, I realized that uh, that wasn't quite serving me anymore. And I've extended that minimum amount of work that I do to six months. Uh, For me, that now enables me to be more ambitious with our work, with the client. Uh, It enables me to uh, help a client really embed the learning and the changes they want to make. Uh, And I just feel like it serves them better, especially the type of client that I'm working with now. More and more leaders, more and more people with a... Uh, an ongoing uh, reason for coming to coaching rather than a single issue where four months serves quite well on a kind of single issue uh, settling into a new role or a career change so there are a couple of reasons that's that's the story really and then there are a couple of reasons i want to try out about objective setting that i think are really are really powerful about a time period rather than a number of sessions. So the way I start all my engagements is creating some objectives. What will success look like for us? Uh, or these days I quite often call it, what's the vision for your next six months that we'll work towards? And I don't know if you can already see it, right? What's the vision? What's your vision for the next six months of your life, right? That's a question that I can feel. It's really different to say, what's your vision of success after six coaching sessions? Because even I as a coach don't really know, I can't feel what that means. I don't really know it. And if you've just come to coach fresh and, and you've got a choice between two things, you, you know, you've got me saying, so after six coaching sessions, how will we know we've succeeded? And you're like, oh, I don't know, we don't really know what can happen in, in six coaching sessions. But if I'm saying after three months, what will have changed so that we'll know we've succeeded? Well, I've got to feel for three months. And more than that, I've got to feel for six months, right? I know where I was six months ago, and I know that a lot can change in that time. So I can get into, well, what do I want to change in this six months? There's also a piece about, and this is also a little bit about uh, why I like to play over a longer time period. Uh, but there's also, some, also something, I think, about the ambition of the goals. So people find it quite hard to set ambitious goals for the, for coaching work. Like those of you who have read some of my writing or worked with me before will know that I tend to play the objectives or the vision on three levels. The first is a, what will success look like? The second is, and what would have to happen for this engagement to be really extraordinary? And the third is, and what's the impossible goal? Now, over coaching sessions, again, this gets like confusing, a bit murky. Why is it going to be 18 months once a month? Or is it going to be, is those 18 sessions going to happen in six months, right? And no matter what you say, you'll find that it, there's, there's more movement. Or I've found, whenever I've charged by the session, there's more fluidity than I imagine there'll be, no matter how carefully I, I contract with when those sessions take place. Uh, and so you can set ambitious goals. 
Because people know, well, what normally changes for me in six months? Okay, well, like my work gets a bit better and my relationships get a bit better. But what I would like to happen is this and this and this. And what would be really extraordinary over six months? Well, that's this slightly bigger transformation that I'm a bit nervous to say. And what's the impossible goal? Well, that's finding a business partner who's going to take me to the next level. Like, I don't believe that's really possible. Someone that I genuinely love. Uh, and then you can know, you know that about a six-month period. You know that about a year. You know what you achieved last year. You know what you achieved in the next year. You can really feel it. There's a little sidebar for coaches, clients, close your ears. It also... It sounds better value. Because if you're paying... Because let's, let's, let's think about this, right? Ah, clients, you can open your ears, actually. There's some stuff for you here, too. So, what, let's, let's think about a year. And let's think about an engagement that might cost £6,000. So, over a year, if you're doing sessions every two or three weeks, you might do 22, 25 sessions. Let's say it's 22 we're going to have some Christmas holiday. We're going to have some holiday in the summer. We're not going to do sessions. So it's going to cost you... The fee for this engagement is £6,000 for 22 coaching sessions. I don't really know what that means. That sounds like a lot of money. That's like a... It's more expensive than my personal trainer or my plumber, right? 22 sessions. I'm starting doing the sums in my head. It's like, they're an hour, an hour and a half. So how many hours is that? Maybe 30 hours... Divide it all up and then, you, you know, you get into this scarcity uh, comparison place. The alternative is this. So I'm a coach. I'm going to be by your side when you need me for the next 12 months. And the fee for that is £6,000. And suddenly that's different. Suddenly I'm paying for a companion on the journey. That for me as a coach is what I want to be, right? I want to be with someone supporting them. Opening their eyes, opening their mind, changing their perspectives as they go from where they are now to somewhere extraordinary. I want to be with them for that six or 12 month period. And you can see, I, I, for me, it feels totally different. And I feel excited by paying 6,000 or 10,000 or 3,000 or whatever the amount of money is, pounds or euros or dollars, to have a really cool coach with me on my journey. Sessions? I'm not so sure. And if you think this is just sales chat, just think about what people are really paying for. Are they really paying for your time? No, they're paying for you to get them where they want to be. They're paying for you to create some massive change in their lives, insights, uh, events out there, practical stuff and internal stuff. They're not paying for you by the hour because we both know, all coaches know, that magic happens between the sessions as well. And it happens partly because of the commitment they make to themselves. And all that goes with the coaching. It's not just the time you're there. And when you get, you get into that place, that's a place of comparison and lack and scarcity rather than a place of possibility and excitement. And a, a final piece on scarcity to finish, I guess. I see it with clients. Like, if you charge by the sessions, one of the things I see is the, and I said this already, the kind of fluidity of when they happen. Now, I've noticed when I book a set of sessions that particularly towards the end particularly the last ones they tend to get pushed back and back and I think there's two parts of that right one of the parts is, is probably resistance it's like uh, I don't want to have to finish this I haven't done all the stuff yet I want to get out of it right I, wanna, I know what I want to achieve by the end of these 12 sessions and I haven't done it all yet so 
I'm going to push that back. I'm just going to not reply to the email. Um, and the other one is probably more for coaches. It's like, I'm chasing around after those people. I'm emailing them and that's no good, right? That's not good at all. And the difference is palpable. The incentives of a, of a time-bound engagement are just really different. The truth is, if I've chased them a couple of times and they're not booking in sessions, then it's them that's losing out. But also, they don't get to, to shirk out of achieving their goals just by pushing the session back. Because they've got this time period where I'm not going to be with them anymore. And there's going to be an end and it's going to be there. And I know, like I know someone who's got, who's got some, some sessions in the bank from her coach from years ago. And I just don't see how that serves her. Like, she's just waiting. She's, she's thinking, is this, this might be the last coaching session I ever had with this person. Is this the right time to use it? Is it now? What if there's another time down the line where I need it more? Whereas instead, if the engagement is ending in three weeks, that person has to face that. And they have to face, have I achieved this thing or not? Will I do it between now and the end of this engagement or not? If not, why not? And one of my favorite things, all those decisions are just taken out of a client's mind when they're thinking about working with a coach for six months. Because then all they really have to decide is, is this a six-month period in which I want to change my life? Is this a 12-month period in which I want to change my life? And do I want this person, is this the person to help me create something extraordinary? So... I really hope that you've taken some things from this video. It's been super fun to record it. And I'm excited to see how you use this and what you've gained from it. And uh, keep getting out there and keep changing lives. <laughs> so fun to look back to that, look back at that, uh, that video there. And, you know, it's weird, like, mostly I still do... I still do my work much like that. Uh, there are only a couple of things I wanted to add in, really, that, that came up as I was thinking it through about some of the logistics and also of how I work and also one of the other effects that I kind of touch on but don't get into in detail. One of the things that I noticed, which I, I kind of briefly mentioned in that, but is worth just emphasising again, is the reason that I moved to six months from four months. These days when I think about that, some of it's because of the complexity of what I'm dealing with. Uh, of, of the challenges that clients bring tend to bring to our work, which tends to be a little more complex than it than it was when I f was first starting out, means that a six month engagement is just more likely to be the right thing than a four month engagement. But another was that I had a I had a couple of clients the last two a few a couple of the last few clients that I that I charged that I that I offered four months to. It just felt to me like they if they had cho if I'd only offered them a six month engagement, they would have been better served by that because it just gave them this extra two months to embed things in their life, to be, you know, everyone's got a plan until you get smacked in the face, to get smacked in the face and still have me around and the coaching space to support them with that. So that that's an advantage of the longer engagement. You know, six months is, is four months is quite a long time, and I did a lot of great work in that amount of time. But I I like the six month rhythm. A, li a really practical thing, um, which I learned from Joel, just like I learned the the time period versus number of sessions thing from Joel Monk, um, is if there's one reason or another, if I you know if Joel was away for a workshop or whatever, or I'm away for a workshop um, now, 
and I can't fit in a session for two weeks or I go on holiday at late notice or, you know, we're in a weekly rhythm and and the holiday just it, somehow me going away for two weeks doesn't feel quite right. I sometimes just add on a couple of extra weeks at the end of the engagement. So they get six months and two weeks instead. And again, if so if people are working with me over Christmas, it tends to be literally a bit more than six six months. Uh, similarly, if they're working with me over the summer, so it's not always the case. But if I'm away for three weeks on my honeymoon, like I was last year, then the people who work with me over that period get a little bit of extra time onto the end. And that's a really easy thing to do for me. And it doesn't feel like it feels like it holds integrity in lots of good ways. And then the last thing is uh, just a little story about a client. We did a 12 month engagement, the first one we we did together, and he got so much from the um, the pace picked up in the last three months of that because of the um, the impending end of our work. And I kind of mentioned that in that in that recording, that video. What's interesting is he decided that after that we would do a six-month engagement, even though he thought he might want to work together for another 12 months. This is the next time we work together because the six months would give us, if we did two times six months, that would give us two times that that last pacey momentum. I've got to get this sorted because our work is going to end soon. So that's uh, a little bit more about that. And, and I think in some of the later videos we'll get into a bit more um, some of those shifts as well are when we get into kind of pricing and that kind of thing. We'll come back to some of these things. So the next um, the next bit that's coming up is uh, was originally a video which I recorded for the participants of the Coach's Journey group program. And it's called How I Structure My First Conversation with a Potential Coaching Client. It definitely owes a lot to a Rich Litvin video, which I mentioned, a couple of Rich Litvin videos, which I mentioned in this, uh, in, in the next um, few minutes, which I'll link to in the show notes. Um, but it is, of course, as always, like I said in that last video, it's it's all that, but with my flavor. Um, so I hope you enjoy it, and I'll be back after that with a few more thoughts, having listened to it again for the first time in quite a while. Hey, Robbie here. Um, I just wanted to record this video today about how I structure and manage and lead the first conversations I have with a prospective client. Um, it's really, it's a video for coaches, but other people may be interested as well. Um, to help provide some of that structure that I use, some ideas that you might borrow or steal if you're a coach. Um, I think it's because I learned, I, you know, I, I was told this from the start, I kind of knew it from the start, but I only learned it later on, how important that leadership is in those conversations from the coach, as a, how important it is as a client when you feel leadership from somebody and, and you, you understand where things are and where they're going. And as a coach, how important it is to step into leadership in those conversations to create the right clients for you. Um, there's at least four parts of the conversation. There's before the conversation, there's a kind of pre-framing start to the conversation. There's a middle of the conversation, which is most of that first session, which for me is about coaching and diving in and giving them what I've got. And then there's a, a closing of the conversation. And we'll see you when we get to the end of the video if there's a, a fifth part about what happens after that conversation. Um, so the first thing is before the conversation, I'm preparing people in advance. So I'm doing some of the scene setting um, as soon as I get an email from someone. So what that means is I usually have at least two emails with people and they, they refer to me or they inquire through one reason or another. You know, as discussed elsewhere, it's almost always word of mouth one way or another. But that first conversation, also, the first email, they might email in. There'll be a reply from me saying, "Look, this is how I this is how I play," and we'll get to that. I'll, I'll model that a bit when I'm talking about the start of the conversation. This is what I do in a first conversation with a client. 
for me that means no coffees, no uh, little taster sessions, no getting to know you. It's just, we'll do some work together. And I, I set that up in that email. Then they probably email back to say, well, they either do or don't. Email back to say, great, let's do it. And then I email them a bit more information um, about what will happen. And I remind them again of that. And I remind them of how long the session will be. And I usually set aside two hours for these conversations. That's how I play. Not everyone's the same. Um, and actually, maybe that's, that's a good thing to say at this point. I'm not saying that I've got this down and that it's perfect. Um, and I'm not saying that you should do exactly what I do. But for me, it's been important as I've learned how I work to take different pieces from different people. Um, and the only way you can do that is if people tell you what they do. So take what's useful from this. Uh, do what's useful. Um, it'll have your flavor. If you copy what I do, that's fine. Most of my stuff was originally copied off other people. It's always got my flavor when I deliver it. So feel free to take that. Um, but I'm not an expert, right? This is not some selling machine that will definitely convert all clients into paying clients and all that kind of thing. Um, this is just how I like to, to run these conversations and how I like to speak to clients. Um, and I hope it's useful. So first of all, there's those emails which prepare people for what's going to happen in the conversation. Then we meet. Now, these days I do more and more of my work online, so it's often on Zoom. But, um, but sometimes it's in person as well. Um, and what I learned, I mean, I guess the, to give again a bit more context, this whole piece is, it takes kind of main, two main inspirations. Phil Bolton, who founded the coaching school where I trained, and Rich Lippin, who is the co-author of The Prosperous Coach. But there are other bits and pieces that I've learned from different people at different times that are now become a part of it. And it's a bit hard for me to separate what's what um, from, you know, from what I do now and who it came from. But there's a but, having said that, there's a really nice... Rich Living video about how to coach people you've never met or something like that. And it's worth checking out. I didn't take the inspiration from there, but it's a really concise uh, way of looking at this initial part. So the first part of the conversation, it involves some getting to know people. It involves some, um, you know, building rapport. And then it involves some contracting. Um, now, I've done some of this already, but what I tend to talk about at this point, I talk a bit about confidentiality, especially if there's a close referral. It's good to remind people of that. Um, I've sent across some stuff in writing about a bit about what coaching is and recommended people read through my website where there's some more information. But I always ask them, almost always ask them, have you had coaching before and what was your experience of it? What was useful? And that starts to get them into the coaching space. I'll talk a bit about what coaching is. These days I tend to tick off three things. Let me see if I get this right. So I tend to tick off, I, broadly I won't give any advice, but I make it clear that doesn't mean I won't say anything. Uh, it doesn't mean... Uh, I won't offer anything, but I just encourage them at that point that it's about it coming from them and that if they want to dismiss anything that I say, that's fine and we'll play with that. And I'm saying it without attachment. I'm saying it to help them and support them in whatever way we're working. So broadly, I won't give any advice. Um, it's always forward-looking and I, I make it clear, you know, we might look at things that have happened before, but the aim will always be about creating the future and about what, how will we use this next. Um, and there's always some kind of action from it. And that's, that's my preference, right? Different people's coaching are different. But for me, there's almost always, it's not quite true to say always, there's almost always some practical steps to be taken in the world. And if there isn't, there's some very specific situations where that might not be the case. If it's been a particularly deep, important session, well, the action then is to allow things to settle sometimes, perhaps. So I'll explain that. Um, you know, I'll explain a bit about uh, the notes that I'm doing. I usually take a few notes, and I, you know, especially if it's online, people can't see that. Make some jokes about not checking Facebook. Um, and I always do a time check again. And it's interesting to hear uh, on that video of Rich's, he says that as well. And I found that's really important because no matter how many times you say, 
it'll be an hour, it'll be two hours. Sometimes people have booked things in. And also as a coach, I find it sometimes useful to know, is that a hard finish? Do they have to go on the dot in 90 minutes time? Or is there a bit of flexibility there? Because that means if we're right in the middle of something, there's a bit of time to, um, to run over. But that's my attitude to time. Different coaches, different people feel very differently about that. And then I'll talk a little bit about what'll happen in this conversation. So I'll say, look, I'm, I'm, the way I like to do this, most people haven't done coaching and, and certainly haven't done coaching with me. And even if you've done some coaching with me before, my coaching might have changed this then. You might have changed. In fact, both almost certainly will have changed. So it's important to really feel where are we now and are we the right match? And so the best way to do that is to do some work. So my aim for the conversation is to give them everything I've got, give them my absolute best, recognizing that phrase, I borrowed that from Jamie Smart, give them my absolute best for the conversation and see where we get to. And then there's a few, and this is what I say, right? And then there's a few things that might happen at the end. Um, We might think that actually coaching isn't what you need right now. And that happens sometimes. Sometimes what people just need and get from a first conversation with me is the energy to take something forward. You know, coaching is sometimes about uh, helping people do what they want to do anyway, or getting people to do what they want to do anyway, sometimes actually the only intervention people need from me is a shot of energy or a little understanding of something, a new insight, and then away they go. Now what I say is if that's the case, I'll usually recommend a resource. So that's one thing that might happen. Sometimes coaching might be the right thing for them, but I'm not the right person, or a helping profession or some kind of help is the right thing, but it's not me. And then I might make a referral to another coach, to somebody else, to a consultant, I don't, I don't know, it could be any number of things. So it could be, this is borrowed from Giovanna Caposa, she told me this. Might be a referral, Um, it might be a resource. We might decide that after, so so part of the aim for this conversation is to get to a yes or no. Sometimes I say that explicitly, but that's definitely what I'm doing. Like, do I want to work with this person? And do I think that now is the right time? And do they want to work with me? Now sometimes at the end of one conversation, even a two hour one, I'm not there. In that case, it's important to let people know that up front, right? So, to contract in that way. So I would say, look, um, yeah, look, it, we might not be ready. And so in that case, we might want to meet again and arrange another call on the same arrangement as a gift from me. And then we'll put that in the diary if that's the case at the end of this conversation. Or the fourth thing is, so it's, it's a resource, uh, a referral, we might meet again, or if both of us feel like it's the right thing to do, we might talk about what it looks like to work with me. And I check in, is that okay? And I share, look, I'm just gonna give you everything I've got for this. Now, I need to, we need to get into a place where we can trust each other. And so what I'm saying to you is, if I'm going down the wrong way, if I'm getting too deep, if I'm not getting deep enough, if there's something I'm skirting over, any of those things and more, be honest, tell me. And then we can do that because we'll get used to working with each other. But my aim will be to give everything I've got in that session and serve the client as well as I can. And that's the end of the first part, give or take. The, the second part, Robbie, the first part, the proper conversation. The third part then is the conversation itself. And here I just coach. Often there's a bit of telling the client's story. There'll be a power in that for them. Often there's a future focused bit. What, what will, where do you want to get to? What might this coaching look like? But not always. And I genuinely just give everything I've got, give them the best coaching I possibly can for the rest of the time that we spend doing this. And then we'll see where we get to. And then at the end of the conversation, a few things might happen. I might make a, I might say, look, I don't think you're ready. I don't think coaching is right for you now. One of those kind of things. But I got this recommendation of this resource, this book, this article, this video, these 
these things, perhaps an exercise to give them. I might make a referral. If I'm not sure, I might say, look, I think I'd like to meet again. And I recommend we do that. And then I'm not sure where we are yet. I'm not sure if coaching's right for you now, but I think we'll know by the end of by another conversation. I might get to that. And then I'll, I'll skip this. And this could happen at the end of this first conversation, this fourth one, or it could happen at the end of the next one. And then I'll share, look, I've done this work now. I've got a good idea that we could do some powerful work together. And often I'll share why. And, and that is, this is the truth, right? I have some criteria that I'm looking for that I know my best clients have. The people I do my best work with, the most inspiring work, place where I'm close to or in the zone of genius. And I check, do those people have those things? And if they do, I tell them. Right? And that's exciting and it's nice. Because there's some great things about that. In that, there's some, some of the things that are wonderful about them and I admire about them. And also, there's some of the challenges they face. And if that resonates with them, I check, I check in. Does, that, you know, does this resonate with you? Do, you? do you hear yourself in this description? And usually, if I've judged it right and trusted my instinct, I do. And then I'll say, well, so look, I think we could do some powerful work together if it's the right time. Would you like to hear what working with me more would look like? And that's a really gentle question. And it's important to notice that. And it gives them permission to say, no, actually, it's not right for me now. And sometimes they do. And that's great. And then if they say yes, then I'll go into the proposal. And the place to go for this is another Rich Litvin video, The Art of the Proposal. I'll put a link for that just below the video. It's a brilliant video. I've adapted it to be about how I work and apply it slightly different in different ways. And then at some point at the end of that, there's the question, so, you know, what do you think? Where do we go from here? Are you ready? Is this the right thing for you now? Again, a gentle question, but, but often it's just, so what do you think? And that broadly covers what happens in the conversation. Now, there's a load of intricacies around that at the end. What happens when they say yes, they have questions. And part of that is just experience and getting used to it. Um, I guess a piece to say is how do we, sometimes the question I get is how do you bridge between the coaching and that proposal section? I bring the coaching to an end in the way that I bring all coaching to an end. You know, what are the things you're taking away from this conversation? What stands out? What's new? I had a new one recently to ask people at the end of conversation sometimes. If I could guarantee there was one insight from this conversation that you wouldn't forget, what would it be? Tie that up, tie up the action, get it specific. And then, and then uh, move in that, okay, well, I've got this feeling that this one where we've been. We, this working together could be a possibility for us and talk about that. So that, I think, covers most of it. Like, I, There's loads of questions to be asked around this. Um, it's based on all these things I've learned, including the Prosperous Coach, including the stuff I learned from Phil. Please feel free to ask them. Please feel free to get in touch um, below, wherever. Um, and yeah, best of luck with your coaching. Uh, nice. So much good stuff in there. Uh, I, love, <laughs> I love also hearing the... Uh, the way the audio uh, picks up, these are all recorded on my phone, and uh, you can hear the you can hear the helicopter coming into Battersea Helipad. You can hear a plane going over. You can hear the school across the road um, picking up if if you've got the headphones on uh, loud enough, like I did. Um, yeah, and interesting in that one that actually I'd forgotten. I thought that I made this video after I'd watched Rich's one about how you coach someone you've uh, again I haven't looked it up yet, but I'll put it in the show notes. How you coach someone you've never met before something like that and interesting that actually I, 
I felt at the time that that hadn't influenced this particularly. I, I probably have adjusted a little bit since then because there's some good stuff in that video from Rich. Yeah, a couple of things I wanted to pick up on, really. I talk a little bit about um, that that is how I like to work. So to, for example, do the... Um, do the coaching in the session rather than what I originally learned from Phil Bolton was more of a consultation, more what other people would call a chemistry call. Um, sometimes I think, and you know, I talk about converting clients. That's definitely not what this is. This way of working was set up to do for me. What it was set up to do for me was kind of two things. First of all, play the long game with my coaching business. And second of all, be something that I enjoyed doing. And in a way, I saw both of these things when I had, I did a few consultations. I, I kind of did consultations with my first few clients where we'd speak, we'd get into what they wanted to get out of the coaching, but we wouldn't actually do any coaching. Uh, and I think I've, I've written this elsewhere, but you know, it was only when I shopped around for coaches that I really realized the difference between those two things. When you've really felt the experience of being coached by someone compared to having spent two hours with someone. And then you ask them, is this what coaching with you is like? And they say, no, that's no, it's completely different. And you know, if you've really felt what working with someone is like, that's a really different, um, it's, a, it's a much easier prospect to buy. So I think there is a, a really positive sales reason to do this. Um, but I shifted for sure. It was like a, the nail in the coffin of shifting to work in this way rather than the consultations was when I had several consultations quite near each other with people who didn't become clients. And I realized that if I'd done coaching with them, then I'd have got to coach them. And as it was, I didn't. As it was, we got to have this conversation. We got, I got to get to know them enough to know that I thought they were a really interesting person, but we didn't get to do the really exciting, fun bit of coaching them. And there's a couple of reasons why I wished I could have done that. One is I thought it might have helped them. Uh, another is that I would have gained experience of coaching them instead of experience of doing consultations. Um, and the third one, uh, yeah, the third one is like, then they become a potential person to refer people to me in the future. And that is really useful as part of the long game of coaching and they really know what it's like to work with me so that later on if the time is right then they'll come back and we might have that conversation and it's really important to enjoy it right i would get if i when i used to do it the old way the consultation way i would get really caught up in am i saying the right thing have i said enough here have i like how have i got this wrong whereas if i've just if i'm just coaching them then i can get fully into service with them i can just get how do i serve this person as deeply as much as possible and sometimes like i said in the in the clip in the video you know, sometimes that means that, that they don't work with me anymore i had this conversation recently with someone and it was like we got about halfway through the second conversation and it's like you could tell he wanted he kind of felt obliged to have the conversation about working together and i was wondering about it and then i was just like i think you're done i think you're good to go and that's great and exciting for all of us Another thing that I've added in since since that conversation, it can get tricky if you don't, if you feel like it's not, you're not the right match for someone. So one of the things I often say to people is, look, I'm about working from my zone of genius. So I'm listening to feel that. And I also have a deal that if I think that there might be somebody else out there who could do a a better job coaching this person or supporting this person than I will, then I'll I'll tell the person that which might be through making a referral. But those two things are really tightly held together for me. If I'm in my zone of genius, then I'm probably the person with somebody, then I'm probably the person who can do some really powerful work with them. But if I'm, if I can't, if I'm not in that place, for whatever reason, there's probably someone else out there who would be closer to that and therefore could do some more powerful work. And then the last extra piece I wanted to throw in on the back of that, that clip, that video, 
was I had this thought since since this. So you can watch that Rich Litvin video, The Art of the Proposal, and it's a beautifully structured thing. My dad once, I, I sent it to my dad once, and he was like, this is amazing. He, my dad spent some time working as a professional therapist, and he said he wished he'd had something like that about therapy when he was doing it, because it's just so much of Rich's experience condensed into that that one video in about 20, 25 minutes, I think. My My feeling is that kind of proposal in the detail and the way that Rich talks about it in that video is really important once the fees get higher. And I think that the line for me was around some, somewhere between 1500 and £2,000 of investment. If you're asking someone for that or less, you can just about get away with just coaching them and then just telling them, um, you know, this is how, this is, we'll meet this often over this amount of time and this is the fee. More than that, people don't have that amount of money lying around as much and it becomes a more serious investment. If you're asking for £2,000 more than that, they need to have a real feeling for what um, the way you work and what they're going to get. And Rich's video is great for giving them that. And, and so I fully recommend recommend you check that out. Um, so, and then the next video that I'm going to put in now is... Um, Another one I think I created for, I'm sure I'll explain at the start of the video, I'm pretty sure I created for the participants on the coach's journey in that first year as well. Both of these, I think, were created for that. So we're talking kind of 2018. And um, this one is about how I end a coaching engagement, so how I create a powerful ending to, to an, an engagement. And again, it borrows from lots of people. Um, and you can read, I can't remember if I put it in the show notes, I'll try and dig it out. There's a great Rich Litvin uh, one, I think I mentioned it in this, where he, he wrote about how he does that as well. And I've borrowed things from him and from other people, as always. So I hope you enjoy that. And uh, Robbie of the present day will be back in a few minutes. Hi. Uh, my name is Robbie Swale. I'm a coach based in London, and I just wanted to share a little bit about how I manage the final session of a coaching engagement. Um, if you haven't already, there's another video on my YouTube page about why I work with clients over a period of time, not a number of sessions. Um, but I think this works. Some of the stuff here, some of the ideas, pretty much all of it works. However, you you work with clients, um, and take what you want from it. It's all borrowed from other coaches. It's one of the one of the most interesting things about, about working with other coaches uh, as a client is seeing what they do, hearing and understanding how they manage different parts of their coaching engagement. And um, one example of that is the ending. So I was once on the end, receiving end of a brilliant final session from coach, from a coach, Joel Monk, um, and at that point started thinking quite differently about how I managed my final sessions. But this is picked up from all sorts of different people. Um, who I've learned from and been coached by over the past few years. Um, so the first thing I would say about the final session is signposting. There's contracting around it. Uh, now, probably this is this. I would I would always recommend that there's a fixed length of time, uh, and I would do time rather than sessions. Agreed at the start. Um, but some other coaches work in different ways, and so that's fine as well. But at some point, uh, most coaching engagements will come to an end, and I always signpost this. If it's happening, and we know it's happening, next time's going to be our last session. I'll say it in person if I can. If not, I'll say it in an email. And what I like to do as part of that session is uh, save at least 20 minutes at the end to reflect on the engagement. We can do some other work if there's stuff that, important stuff that's come up, but I don't want to save the time for that. And then I'll follow that up in an email uh, before that final session, um, and I'll ask people to review the notes that usually I've, often I've shared with them. I take some notes during my coaching and ask them to review those notes from the work we've done. 
and also look back at the vision we set at the start and also usually give them some questions. And I've got a growing list of questions I sometimes ask at this point um, and I basically choose them for a client based on instinct. They include, uh, what did you gain from the work together? What have you learned from the work we've done together? What, what insights are you taking away? And sometimes I also ask, what are the biggest results you've seen? And I'm not very good at asking that because I get a bit worried that there won't be any. But the truth is there always are tangible results. And it can be a really powerful thing to challenge someone to, to think of those. Um, and sometimes I also ask a, a forward-looking question. Like, what's your biggest dream for the next six months or the next 12 months? And that and some of these questions are borrowed straight from Rich Litvin. Um... And then at the start of the final session, I'll, I'll signpost all that stuff again. I'll say, look, we're going to do the 20 minutes at least at the end. We, there might be something more important to look at first. Um, and if there is, we'll get into that. Sometimes there isn't, uh, or the client doesn't bring something in. In which case, I'll often or always try and go back to the vision that we set at the start. First session or two of, the, of an engagement with the client when I work with them is usually creating a vision. For what do they want to create? What would be the extraordinary things for them to create over the next six or 12 months? And now's the time to go back to it um, and to revisit it and to get them to reflect on it. And this is a part of the first important thing I think about the final session, which is reminding a client just how far they've come. And not everyone is like this, but with my clients, because of who I am and the way that I work, they, they're often people who don't remember the things they've done, don't celebrate their successes all that well. But for anyone, I think it's really important if they've made this investment in themselves in terms of time and money and energy and changing or creating something. It's really important to show them, look, this is what you've done. And, and the vision isn't always done. It's not always complete. But in that, usually there's some, there's some insights too. So I normally take them through the vision. Just ask them, well, read this part of the vision or I'll read it to them. And I'll say, well, what's coming up as I share this? This is where you were six or 12 months ago. What, what's it like to hear that back now? It's useful to collect those insights and make a note of them. And I usually try when creating the vision also to ask, um, what will it be like if, you've, if, if you do all this? What will it feel like? What will it look like? And I love to reflect that back at this stage as well. You know, you can say, well, you said if you did all this stuff, it would be awesome. You would be a totally different person. What's it like to have done all this stuff? And get them into that moment, remembering what it was like. Now, as I've said, uh, I'm always learning from the coaches I work with about how they manage this stuff. I just finished working with Rich Litvin, and he plays this a little bit out in a slightly different way. He asks the client to take themselves back. You know, what was it like to be you six months ago? What was it like to be you 12 months ago? What was going on? What were the challenges? And that's a great way to play as well. Um, the next part, which of the final session is, is that I usually say, well, look, I've got, uh, thanks for going through the vision. I've got some things that I've been through our notes and picked out or things that I've thought as I sat and reflected on our work together and on you. And then I'll share that. And those are usually a mixture of things. It's the, the most memorable moments from the work we've done or, or the insights that feel like they've been most key. I might pick out some themes, you know, like a lot of our important work has been around certainty. And I'll give some tangible examples of that about where in their life and in the work we did, that showed up. And I'll always try and reflect back how I see that person. You know, I'll reflect back and thank them for maybe the courage they've shown or the vulnerability they've shown or really the ways that I admire them and the ways that they inspire me. And I really like to do that. It's a beautiful gift to give. That's another way of showing people because not everyone is good even reading through it, noticing the 
things they've created, even if there's detailed notes or they've kept a diary or whatever. It's different to hear it back from somebody else. And wherever possible, and I do this with any notes that I send to clients, I'm always trying to capture it in their language. And I'll, I'll again, if I, if I have that stuff where it's things that they've said, I'll be ref- trying to reflect it back in their language. And I'll also be trying to speak from the heart. This is all true. Like, uh, It's very important that that stuff is genuine because people don't often get told that. And after six months of working with someone, you know them pretty well and you've seen them in a way that lots of people don't. And to reflect that back to them, which you know, I feel like is... is Often with my clients, the most real, the most them they ever are is in, is in coaching. And so to be able to reflect some of that back is, can be very powerful for them. And then after that, I'll invite them. Well, I'll ask them what they noticed, what it was like as I reflected the, the things that I reflected back to them. And I'll ask for what, what came up for them at that point, what they noticed. And then I'll ask them some of the questions that I might have sent them in advance. Sometimes I ask all of them, sometimes I don't. And there's not really a pattern to that. It's just however much time we've got on, on whatever's, whatever's going on, whatever comes up for me. Uh, sometimes I'll ask all of them and sometimes I'll just say, I'll just choose one, whatever feels right in the moment and I'll ask it and I'll quite often say, so if maybe I chose, you know, what are the insights that you, the biggest insights that you've taken from our work together? And, and they answer one, I'll say, and what else? And what else? And what else? And I learned the neuroscience behind that recently, that powerful coaching tool of just saying what else or asking the same question over and over again. You know, and it's that, uh, let me get this right, it's that the first few times that you get asked that kind of question, that you're asked to come up with an idea, you come up with the common ideas. It's like the neuroscience, it's like the paths most travelled, the neural pathways most used. But then as you keep getting asked it, you force new neural pathways. And that's when the unexpected things come out. And that's true. I've seen that be true of insights or the things that people have gained from the work that we've done. Keep asking. And things keep coming, if you've got time. And then... I really like to try and take the client, if I can, into what next for them. Maybe that's a question from Rich of, what's your biggest dream for the next 12 months or the next six months? Sometimes, often with my clients, part of our work will have been to create a vision for what's coming next. And I'll bring that into the final call. And then, as that's tied up, maybe there's some actions they're going to take. You know, maybe it's not. Maybe it's just this nice place that we are. You know, I'll thank them again for the work they've done. And then I'll tie the last piece up, the, the, what feels to me the last important piece of, it, of the engagement, which is, and I'll, I'll say it like this, and I, I, I borrowed this from either Phil or Vegard, who I, who I trained with. Uh, we've, we've been through a little bit what's next for you. Uh, we've got your vision for the next 12 months. You've talked about what are the actions you're going to take as a result of this session. There's a couple of things that I'd like to ask of you, which that's what's next for me. So that's you know, I'd be really, really honoured if you would write a little bit about the work we've done together. It might, some, you sometimes use that kind of thing as a testimonial, sometimes it just goes on in a little Word document or a collection of emails that I've got. It'd be really valuable if you wouldn't mind doing that. But no pressure, because that's not always the right thing to do. And the second is, uh, I'd love to send you a little email about the kind of people that I'm looking to be connected to at the moment, and just to see if there's anyone you know that you want to refer to me. And usually the offer from me is to gift them a powerful coaching conversation. Uh, like the one that we did when we first met. And what I find is that great clients, and then if they have been a really great client, I'll I'll try and say this, and and I feel like you've been a great client who I've done some of my best work with. Often those people are the best people at at knowing who I can do great work with and who can benefit from working with me. So trust your instincts there. And there's some things I can learn there. I got some feedback recently. I need to be clearer on that. I need to 
make a really clear call to action and who I'm asking to be connected to. But I'd like to put that into the mind because that's something that means a lot to me. It's how my business works. And however you say that, I would say the most important thing is to say, is to say it would be really valuable to me if, if you could make some referrals when it feels like the right thing to do. And then the last piece is what's next for us? Then what's next for them? Then what's next for me? Now it's what's next for us. And well, I speak from the heart here. Look, it's, it's been a real pleasure to work with you. It's been a privilege to go on this journey with you. And I'm so grateful that you've been able to go on this journey with me. And if there comes a point in the future, it might be soon. Some clients, you know, want to start working together straight away or in a month or in two months. Or it might not be for a long period. But if in the future you come to a point where you feel like we could do some powerful work together again, then let's talk. Because I've really enjoyed this. It's been powerful and fulfilling for me. And, you know, I can't promise. Maybe I say that sometimes, you know. But I have a feeling that if we do some more work together, we can do that again. And then I close the call. And usually we say some, we say some goodbyes. Uh, and, and we see what happens. And my feeling is that there is a there is real power in creating a good ending for people. An ending that reflects who you are as a coach and a person. Because often in life we don't get those good endings. Uh, and to me, it means a lot to create the kind of ending that I would want to receive. Uh, and I think that in itself can be a powerful thing for people. So look, steal away from what I've shared here today. Um, if you've got any ideas about great ways to end coaching engagements, great things to ask, great, great ways to play, I'd love to hear them. And, um, and yeah, keep changing the world. Hello again, it's Robbie from 2020 back here. Yeah, definitely need to give a big hat tip to... Um, Phil Bolton and Vegard Olsen from the coaching school for for the content of that one. I, I mentioned it at the end, but but it's also true of those those questions. Uh, what are you? What were they? What, what are the insights? What have you gained? What have you learned? I I definitely took those from I think Vegard, but it could have been Phil too, and 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 learned a lot from them. Just so I was kind of starting out really. Uh, it's nice that video. It's great to listen back. There's a few things that I'd kind of forgotten I used to do, which I need to um, need to make sure I I keep doing, and because there's some great stuff in there. Um, it's also really interesting to listen back to that one, particularly now, because I'm, I'm in the middle of reading a book called The Power of Moments um, by the Heath Brothers. Uh, it was a present from my brother-in-law for Christmas, and, I, and I'm kind of eating it up. And, you know, it's really interesting to see. It's made me think about how do I create powerful moments for my clients, the ones that they all remember, ones that mean a lot to them. Uh, and it's interesting that some of that I do that in this final conversation, particularly helping them acknowledge the progress they've made, which is something that, that in that book, the Heath brothers say, we're not very good at a lot of the time. Uh, but also in creating a powerful ending uh, too. So it's, it's, it's nice to listen to that back. Yeah, I want to pick up a few things from from across that one. Um, one is I, I'm usually a bit like I said in, the, in, in one of the earlier kind of interludes in this episode. Um, I'm signpointing the I'm signposting the end of the engagement earlier than I was then, it sounds like. If I was just saying it the session before, it'll be our last session next time. I'm usually saying it much earlier than that. I'm saying, look, we've got about a month left now, um, you know, and, and bringing that in not too much, hopefully, but over and over again to make sure clients know that we've, you know, we've got this piece of work. And if they want to do something with me by their side, they need to do it in this time that we've got. 
So that's one thing. I mentioned notes in there, and I know a lot of people, coaches, ask questions and worry about note-taking. So I just want to say a couple of things about that. I take quite a lot of notes, and because I like writing, um, with my one-on-one private clients, I send them usually follow-up notes, relatively detailed, like whatever I've captured as a follow-up to each conversation. And there are some great things about that. One of my clients said it's like having a book written for you about yourself or about a six-month period in your life, which is super cool. Um, some uh, clients have just been so grateful to have that stuff in writing and their language captured so they don't have to worry about thinking about it. But it, I have concerns about how, about my presence sometimes. You know, I watched a video, one of the videos that's online of me recording and, and instantly paid less attention to my notes having watched myself coach back because I was aware that I was losing eye contact a lot. I do that a bit less now, but I, I sometimes still, I do lose eye contact because of note-taking. It's an interesting thing to do um, and decision to make as a coach. I remember asking, or well, one of us asked Rich Litvin about it. I mentioned Rich in that. I did the Prosperous Coach Salon uh, with Kristin and Miner, who are other guests on the podcast amongst other people. And we asked Rich and he takes notes sometimes, but he says he chucks them away straight after a, a call because he's really only doing them to capture people's exact language. If you ever heard Rich Coach, he uses that incredibly powerfully and and, and, and it's, it's very useful to do to get the exact phrase that someone's getting. Um, so notes, tricky, interesting questions. You know, I have some associate work that I do where they require us to make some notes uh, for other bits of work like my group programs. I don't, I take some notes in the session, but don't send any round. You know, it's all, all different ways of working just to try and support both my presence in the conversation and also for uh, other coaches to, you know, for to support the client and, and give slightly different things to different people. Interesting decisions to make. Um, I wanted to catch, you know, asking that question, things like what have been those questions at the end, me being a bit nervous about saying what have been the biggest results from you, from our coaching, because what if there haven't been any? Um, and I would just really encourage everyone, including me, to lean into that, that little bit of anxiety. Um, you know, at the end of a coaching session, any coaches... I just, one of my biggest bits of advice would be make sure you're asking what are some, some questions at the end of a coaching session. What stands out from that conversation? What have been the most useful things to come out of it? Just, it's really good for two reasons. One is it helps the client. It really does. It helps them consolidate what they've learned. And then if they're only going to write down two things, maybe they're going to write down the two most important insights they've just had over the last hour or whatever. But it also helps the coach embody confidence about what they're doing. You know, if you, if you keep asking, it's like coaches sometimes ask things like, how do you get to the point where you really believe in your work? Well, if at the end of every coaching conversation you have, you're saying what was useful about that conversation and people are telling you, then it's really hard to not understand and embody that coaching is valuable and useful. And you can mix those questions up, use some of the ones that I mentioned in that episode. Um, yeah, I wanted to catch a bit like the, you know, I mentioned in the last conversation, I come back to the vision we made. I'm also coming back to that throughout the engagement. So I think I'll talk about that maybe in one of the other videos. I can't quite remember if it's in there or not. But, um, you know, I, we'll be coming back to the vision about halfway through, um, at the, or two, between a third and two thirds of the way through, at least. Um, often more than that. Often clients will bring it in themselves in different ways. But it, it won't be the first time we've gone back to the vision in that final session. We'll, we'll have done that already because it's important to check in. Is the dream you had at the start still the same dream now? Do we need to change? Has some of it been achieved? And now we can add some other stuff in. Is the new things we've learned that might go in there? So I'm doing that partly through an engagement too. Um, and then last of all, I wanted to touch in on the um, 
the power of the acknowledgement and validation at the end. And, and that was what I, I kind of re- referenced it really briefly. Um, the, uh, a powerful ending with a coach that I had as a client really informed all of this and made me think about it differently. That was with Joel, um, who again influenced me a lot. And he did this thing where he he sat, he, he just, in the last session he brought, I can't remember if it was four or five themes or moments that just really stood out for him from the engagement. It was so powerful to hear them back that, that I decided I would, I would bring that into almost all of my engagements from then on. And, and that feels risky for coaches sometimes because it means you're bringing something. Uh, but I found that it is a, a really just powerful thing for a, a, a client to hear. And, and they know that I'm sharing that with them. And I sometimes say this, you know, these are just what came up for me. It's not everything, but I wanted to highlight these few things. And I found that to be a, just a really nice way of showing the clients some of the progress, bringing to mind some things that they've forgotten uh, and all that kind of thing too. So uh, yeah, that is uh, just a few thoughts I had about um, about that video, about endings of coaching engagements. The next video is about marketing, about connecting and sharing and doing great work. So um Again, I created this for Coaches Journey participants, I think. And yeah, I'll be back in a, in a few minutes after after you've heard from Robbie of 2018 or something. Uh, I'll be back to with a few other thoughts, I'm sure, on that video. Hey, my name's Robbie Swell. I'm a coach based in London. And I want to create this short video today about marketing for coaches. Um, some of it will definitely apply to other people as well. I had a funny conversation with my sister about, I don't know, 18 months ago or a year ago, who's a DJ. And it turned out the way that she had used Instagram was basically exactly how I'd used LinkedIn, and which had been for both of us an unexpected way of, of, of growing our businesses and people's awareness of us. So I think some of the principles here will, um, will apply everywhere. And it's not the be all and end all, and I'm not the marketing, a marketing guru, and I'm not saying these aren't, this isn't um, a how-to. These are some principles that I think apply broadly. So, there are three things I'm going to share first, which I think are important kind of ideas to share, and then there is, um, then there's a couple of more specific things that I think are really valuable if you're growing a business particularly a business as a freelancer, self-employed person, entrepreneur, where it's just you and you're selling you, but I think this stuff also applies elsewhere. Okay, so I think there's a principle which is choose your channels and do them well. And you don't need to have that many and you don't need to have many ways that you reach out to people and trying to do all social media is, is a bad idea um, because it's just draining and it, it doesn't give you the impact that you need. What gives you the impact you need is focusing in one place and using that well. And one way to decide that is what's easiest for you. Where do your talents best fit if it's, uh, you know, and, and we'll get into a little bit what, what, that might, what that might be, what the channels might be and the doing well might be. But, you know, if you're a super snappy person, maybe it's Twitter. If it's a visual creative space, maybe it's Instagram. If you're more comfortable or you want a great writing platform, maybe it's LinkedIn. If it's something different, maybe it's Facebook. Maybe there's other things that I don't know about. And I think the key thing is choose the ones you want to do and do them well. And keep doing it. And this is the second piece. This is about long game marketing. This is not about I will get you six clients in six weeks. This is about setting up a, a pattern or a system 
which you can repeat and keep repeating and over time become really confident that it will help you grow your business. And the long game, if you ask me, should include creating a body of work. Uh, so that if you keep chipping away at this, whatever it is, whether it's just a series of Instagram posts, a series of pieces of writing, a series of videos, in the end, when people look for you, they'll find you. And if you start, one, if you do it one thing at a time, you won't notice that you're creating an incredible uh, stockpile of podcasts. Because you've just done one, and then you've done another, and then you've done another. And the third piece, and I think this is quite important, I learned this from my brother, and I'll, I'll post um, the article that he wrote, which had this in, in, the, in the notes, but I think he said he stole it off somebody else. Like, don't cut your hand off with marketing to spite your face. And the story that Ewan tells in his article is, you know, there's a, there's a I'm not sure if this is a real client story that he'd had, or is a made up one, I can't remember, but it's so evocative for me. It's like, there's a, someone who's really powerful, has, can do great work as a coach. And they're sitting at the side of the room and they're noticing how this other person on the other side of the room is using all the old sleazy sales and marketing techniques. That kind of snake oil salesman or used car salesman like. And they've got a big queue of people. And yeah, you can sit there as the person who knows that deep down they can do the great, important spiritual work and bemoan the other person for cheating and lying, because you know they're not as good as you and they're, and they're not serving people powerfully, they're just getting people in. And you can blame the other people for being so stupid that they take the, they, they're taken in by the marketing and sales techniques. But the truth is, by not using those techniques, by staying away from them because you think they're beneath you or you think they're too sleazy, you're just cheating everyone. You're cheating yourself because you don't have the business. You're cheating the, the other person because you're letting them get away with it and you're certainly not serving the people who are ending up working with some snake oil salesman and not you with your deep, important work. And the, you know, the, the reason to tell that story is that it's really important that you notice when you're doing that and you think, well, am I not posting? You know, the example for me was I didn't want to have a mailing list because I didn't want to be just another person, another coach with another mailing list. And then using that story, I realized, well, the only people this is hurting is me because my work isn't getting to as many people because not everyone checks LinkedIn where I was posting a lot of my articles and the people who want to read my writing. And look, if no one signs up to my list, fine. But if some people sign up and that's how they hear about my writing, then I should just suck it up and create the mailing list. And I did. Then the, the, the two key parts for me of a coaching marketing plan sh should be share and connect. Sharing is important because it allows people to get to know you before they meet you. That came from a client of mine. She said that in a session. We thought, wow, there's a marketing plan, right? What can I do so that people know me before they meet me? And it's great then because then people, they're already partly sold. They know that you're great for them. They're just checking the coaching thing. They're just checking how you talk about it and exactly what you do. But maybe they're just already 10% there or they're 20% there or they're sometimes 80, 90% there. If, they, if you give them a chance to really get to know you, then by the time they get to you, it's a filter for the people that already might do great work with you. And, and sharing is tough. 
you know, I point you at the work of Stephen Pressfield and I've written about his work on resistance before, it's really hard to share. And it's really hard to share stuff that's truly you, or it can be. But playing that game, sharing in whatever way that is, continually giving people the chance to get to know you, even when you're not there, should be, I think, a core component of your marketing. And that's because really, and this is the second one, the first one is sharing, the second one is connection. Really, it's only through connection that, that coaching clients are created, that people decide to do coaching. It's only through connection. And what that means is two things. You need to allow people to connect with you. Maybe that's online through some online marketing channel that you choose, wherever your people are and whatever, the way that you want to share best fits. Or maybe it's in person. And I think continually connecting with new people is the second part of the marketing plan. And I don't just mean adding them on LinkedIn, right? It has to be a genuine connection. For me, I find networking events quite hard. Um, so I have a rule that if I have met one person who I have a connection with, and after that, and I, you know, I, it, good enough that I'll add them on LinkedIn and they'll be like, oh, that guy from that event added me. Great. C connect, you know, something like that. Not just like, who's that awkward guy? Like, oh, what's this? Or who's this email from? But there's a point where both of us want to exchange cards or details. Then if I'm tired after that and I need to go home, I can go home. Because one new connection could be all it takes. And if you have a practice of connecting, then that's very powerful. And when those things go together, this is how, definitely how my marketing has worked. Marketing, it's just what I do, right? I go and meet someone at an event and they go onto my LinkedIn and then I'm sharing on LinkedIn. And therefore, in the end, they probably see something I, I've shared. And I developed a practice by accident, and I've written about this before, of sharing one post a week. I write them in about 12 minutes and then I share it. And it's just me. It's just what I'm thinking about. I've got better at doing it, but still, there's about a hundred of them now. Some of them are good. Some of them are okay. Some of them are dull. Some of them have been read by hundreds of people. Some of them have been read by 10. My most recent one has been read by like 12. And I think it's one of the most interesting things I've written in a long time. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But by sharing, I'm giving people the chance to get to know me. Or I'm giving the people who look for me the chance to find something. And that's really important. Coaching clients are rarely created through Facebook ads, in my experience. How it normally works, how I've seen those two marketing things work, outside of invitation and referral, which is a big part of this. I guess the third pillar of marketing is do really great coaching. Because if you do really great coaching, you don't need to do any marketing. But how I've tended to see it work is, ah, here's a person I connected with a while ago, and my writing, my blog, doesn't, doesn't rarely, occasionally has, rarely creates a new client. What it tends to do is allow someone to feel like they know me well enough to move from being a connection, someone I met or worked with 10 years ago or met an event, to reaching out to me and saying, I've been thinking I might need some help. I wonder if you can help me. And what you really, what I'm really trying to do through the marketing that I do is share myself so that other people know me and feel like when, feel like when they need some help, 
they know, am I the right person to help them? So just to recap that, choose a channel, choose the way you're gonna market and do it well. Hold your nerve over the long game. This is tough because when things aren't going well, when you haven't got many clients, if you're like me, you're second guessing. Do I need to change now? Do I need to do something different? And having a plan that you stick to on the good weeks and the bad, for me, share one piece every week. Uh, share it on LinkedIn, on Twitter. Once a month or so when I create something that's not just my weekly pieces, maybe it's this video, maybe it's a longer piece of writing, roughly once a month I try and send, I send something out. Include all those bits of writing so the people who re are already a bit of my fan, who want to receive my writing when it comes out, but maybe don't always check LinkedIn or miss it, get a digest they can read through. And find ways to connect with new people. Whether those are particular events that I go to regularly and I have a few that I've discovered are good for that. And I hold my nerve on that when I'm feeling good and when I'm not. I post an article every week. And that's the way to beat resistance. It's, it's consistency. But share you coaching. Share your thoughts. Get yourself out there. And make sure you're not avoiding marketing. You're not cheating potential clients out of the chance to work with you. Just because you feel a bit uncomfortable about it. It's time to get on with it. How funny to listen to that one back. That is the least watched of all my videos on YouTube by quite a distance. And I think it's some of the most, certainly listening back, it's, it's the one that I've been the most interested in. Um, I guess in some ways it's more conceptual and a bit less nuts and bolts, but some good stuff in there um, that I have learned about how to do all this stuff. Um, so a couple of things to say. So the first one that came to mind is you don't have to do any marketing to be a coach. Except that um, the sharing that you have to do, uh, you, you have to do the connecting, right? You always have to do the connecting because if you're not connecting with people, there's no one that can become a client. And I think that if you don't do any marketing in the kind of the traditional sense of marketing, there's no mailing list, there's no writing, there's no podcast, there's none of that stuff, then you just got to wonder how do those people, how do people come to you uh, and how do they remember you? And so I have like, there are different people that talk about this in different ways. Phil Bolton, I remember had like a short list of people who um, he knew were big cheerleaders for his business who loved the work he'd done with them and he'd just take them out to coffee. I can't remember if it was like each of them we would take out for coffee once every three months. And that was enough to keep him in their mind so that when they bumped into someone else, they would um, share about his work. And that referral, that's like, that's knowing people before you meet them too. Because if your friend Anna has just told you, you got to meet Phil, he's great because of this, this, this and this, then when someone meets Phil, they know Phil a little bit before they do that. Um, the other thing I guess that was interesting about this, uh, this particular clip, this particular video is just how much it is a part of how I've grown my business. So, you know, including this podcast, isn't it funny that I mentioned, you know, just before you know it, you'll have a bunch of podcasts and here we are on episode eight. Um, and I, I strategically built this a bit more than that, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if we get to episode 30 and it will be like that, just like it's still weird that I'm at, uh, you know, 12 minute article number 160 now or something like that. And that's just done one a week and keeping that going and being present on LinkedIn 
uh, in that one channel that I've chosen regularly and well. Um, yeah, and then the last thing to say, I just think that marketing story that I told in that one that I got from Ewan's article is just such an important one. It's such a good way to shake the resistance out of us. Um, and so, uh, yeah, make sure that you remind yourself that by hiding away from marketing um, because you think it's sleazy or because, you know, for whatever reason, and from sales techniques, you know, there is an extent to which you are only cheating the people whose lives you might change. Uh, and don't do that because they need you. Um, so I think that's all for now I've got to say about that, um, except that I do think that those things connect with people, share something about yourself somewhere so that people can be reminded of you in that moment where they realize the conversation, that the kind of work that you talked about, the conversation you once had with them is exactly what they need more of now and do great work so that people are telling people about about you like that is that is at the core of all this the next video funnily enough going from that one which is like the least watched on youtube it's got like 60 views or something to the the next one which is um uh one about my pricing so i just i'm just going to tell you the story in this video of how i priced my coaching from start to uh whenever this was done last year sometime and maybe a year ago about sometime early 2019 i think um this one was very quickly watched by several hundred people um, because we don't often talk about money. And even in the episode so far, there hasn't been that much conversation on this podcast about the ins and outs and the intricacies of money. So um, yeah, enjoy this. And then I'll be back again just to tie up the, uh, to, to offer some thoughts on that from from a year's perspective, uh, a year in the future. And also to just tie up this episode because this is the last of the videos for this episode. I'm sure you'll be very sad to know that. And um, yeah, but in the meantime, enjoy me talking about how my prices have evolved over the time that I've been coaching. Hi, my name is Robbie Swale. I'm a leadership coach based in London. Uh, and uh, I'm here creating this video today um, because about money and coaching fees. Uh, it's a video mainly for coaches, but other people might be interested too. I do quite a bit of work as part of my practice with coaches on developing their business and creating the lives they want. And one of my clients recently asked me about that. and We didn't have time in the conversation, so I thought I'd create this video. I think it's quite a good video to create. I am denied about it. I felt some of the anxiety that most coaches feel when they get to talking about their money. But I realized that it's important to share this story because 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 a lot of people are embarrassed about their fees, uh, are charging for themselves anyway. That's a part of it, but also just maybe not comfortable talking about money. Certainly in Britain, that's not necessarily something we do. And I also think for coaches, there's a real worry: what if my clients see this, and then I charge more or less, or they think, ah, oh, if I'd come in earlier, it would have been much cheaper, or whatever the the, the worries are. Um. And. I decided not to worry about that. Um, I wanted to create the video for my client, Justine. Um, but I also think it's useful to put it out there. I want to tell, I'm going to tell that story about my fees, how they've evolved um, a little bit. And I, and I hope it's useful for some of you. Um, I don't think this is the only way to do it. Uh, my fees evolved from very low to where they are now. Some people just dive straight in at the high level and I have huge admiration for those people. It didn't feel like something I could do. Um, and there's been a kind of evolution for my fees. So... 
It started at the coaching school where I trained. And one of the things I loved about them, one of the reasons I trained there was because they encouraged us straight away to start charging. So from our, after the first weekend, they said, dive into, uh, create some practice clients, find those people and practice this work that we've done. And if you can, charge them, even just something at a nominal fee. And part of that was in case we wanted to do ICF accreditation. And But I think the reason I wanted to do it was because I knew that dealing with money was something I was going to have to do. So I wanted to get on with that as soon as I could. So I think I, I, think I chose that initial fee based on what Mike Toller, a friend of mine and one of the founders of the coaching school, shared that he'd done when he was training, which was started from £30 a session. So that's what I did. And I followed uh, the Phil, the other founder of the coaching school's model of six sessions at a time. Uh, that's that's one of the ways that he sold coaching at one point. And um, so I sold coaching six, £180 for six sessions. And then a couple of people, even at that stage, I didn't quite provide the six session model. I think I had one for two sessions at £30 and one for six sessions at uh, £25 ago, so £150 overall. She negotiated me down. Um, and I worked with those clients, and it was great. And at that point, there's another video that I've recorded about why I charge for coaching over a period of time, not a number of sessions. And I made that shift after those first five clients or so um, to working with people over four months. And I created that four-month engagement basically from what I'd already been doing because I noticed that the six sessions didn't happen every two weeks. They happened like over about four months. So I was like, okay, if it's six sessions over four months, let's make it um, 50 pounds a go now, 300 pounds for that engagement. And I ended up doing more than six sessions for that, but that was fine. That was part of how I worked. And I did a couple, a few engagements like that, I think two or three, maybe four. I can't remember exactly. And again, they weren't always four months. I was always a bit flexible with, with how I worked. And then the next engagement was, I think, £450 for a four-month engagement. Interesting thing about that was that client, we didn't end up finishing our work. That he, that client went off to do something different, and didn't, but didn't want the money back. I offered several times in several different ways. said, no, it's fine. Let's leave it as it is. Then I moved on to £600 for an engagement. Um, I think I only did that one at 450 and maybe two or three at 600 I'd have to check the numbers exactly, but, but a few clients at £600 for an engagement of four months. Did some powerful work in that way at that phase, and it was exciting. Alongside this, I was doing other... This is my private rates. I was starting to do other work, um, associate work by this point, where the fees worked slightly differently. And that was quite good, because it made me say, our fee is uh, whatever it was, um, and and uh, maybe like £1,200 for eight sessions, or six to eight sessions, I think, was one. And that was an enormous amount for me to say. But once I'd said that, my attitude and energy around money was different. And that's one of the lessons I learned. So one of the lessons I learned is I only have to say the number to people for my energy to be different. And if I say it to myself, the energy gets a bit different. And if I say it to someone else, and they either say yes, or they don't even have to say yes, sometimes if they just don't laugh in my face, my energy shifts around it. So I did one engagement at £800 for four months and then went to £1,000 for four months. And I, I, in fact, I didn't even do an engagement at that level. But I remember the woman I said it to, she didn't laugh and suddenly my energy was different about it. I was like, ah, it's not outrageous to her that it would cost £1,000 for four months of work in this way. She said no in the end, but it didn't matter. My energy was different. By this stage, um, I've probably been coaching about uh, 15, 16 months I think, and uh, I was still working, I was working part-time um, in a leadership development company at the time. 
And with Joel, my coach at the time, we played a money game. Uh, it's a version of Rich Litvin's 90-day money game where you, you set yourself a target of proposals based on the amount of... So you, you what's the amount of money that I would like to create in the next 90 days? Times it by four. And then make that number of that amount of in proposals, not necessarily in money, right? That you can't control. What you can control is proposals. But to hit this target that we set, um, I had to change the number. It just didn't add up, even at a thousand pounds. So I made it fifteen hundred for four months of work, and those are the proposals that I made. And again, my energy changed around it. And by the end of the game, people were saying yes to me at that rate, and that was the amount of money where it suddenly became it added up that I could leave the other job alongside um, the associate work that I was going on, which again was part of that. It's like some opportunities arose. And my decision was, if I want to make this game work, I have to say yes to these, these opportunities. I have to make the proposal there too. And that's how I played for quite a while, for probably about six or probably eight months I played at that, that fee alongside some associate work, which again helped this add up for me. And some other bits of, of facilitation and training. And then I played up again. I felt like oh, I need to go for a while. One of the things that Phil once said to me was, um, was someone had said to him was, after six clients, consider raising your fees. And I probably had more than that, but it felt like the right amount. That hadn't been the growth area for me. Then I went to £2,000. I made a few proposals at that level. And then not long after that, I shifted the length of engagement to six months and 12 months. I'd been offering four months and 12 months. Um, and the 12 month fee, I think was at 1500 was like that time, 1500 for four months. It was then like 4,000 for 12 months, which is a bit of a discount. And then at 2000, it was for four months, it was 5,000 pounds for a year. So it's like multiply it out. And then there's a bit of an advantage to the client for signing up for a longer period. But no one did sign up for a longer period <laughs> because I think the, the difference was too big or the, something. And later on, I decided I just propose, I start with just proposing the work that I think is most important, most valuable, most powerful for that client. So if I think 12 months is the most powerful, I tell them about that. If I think four months or six months is, I tell them about that. Um, when I first went to six and 12, I just extrapolated from, so it stayed at 5,000 pounds like it was f for 12 months, but six months was just pro rata up from, from that 2,000 pounds. So it was 3,000. Later, I grew that um, quite a bit because I was working with Rich Litvin, um, who wrote The Prosperous Coach, co-wrote that at the time, and we were playing with this stuff. And I went quite a lot beyond that. I uh, made some proposals at £10,000 or 6000 for six months. Um, but actually, I settled down in the end to create the lifestyle that I wanted, which is where I am right now in this moment. The, the, the minimum fee that I would offer someone to work with would be £7,000 for 12 months and 4000 for six months. And that's where I am right now. Uh, I can't guarantee, if you're a prospective client watching this, that that's where I will be when you speak to me. Because each day, each week, each month... I learn more, I grow more, I spend more on my development, and the value that I can provide definitely increases. The last thing I would say about all this is, is to return to an idea that I've shared elsewhere before, I've shared before, but that I think is really important. So money isn't... The great analogy is the lifeblood. 
or the petrol, right? So in a car, money isn't the money is the petrol in the car. It's not the point of the car, but it is something that enables the car to run. And without it, the car can't run. And that's what money's like for your business. So I'd encourage you to play with this however you, you can. Um, if you're a coach, jump your fees if you can. Uh, you're always underestimating it. I had a friend and we play a game with each other sometimes where we check in like with each other about money, a proposal for something. And we might say, you know, we get to play the other part, which is now you should be charging more than that. You're worth more than that because we tend to underestimate what we're worth. And for instance, with those clients that I made a £10,000 proposal to, I made that because I had no doubt that I could deliver £10,000 worth of value to those people because of who they were and where they were. And that's exciting. And because of what I'm worth, and I know that I'm worth that. Um, And part of the reason I know that is because I know there are people out there who charge that. And I know that I can offer as much as they can offer. But it's not always what I want to offer. And that's important to me too. Uh, I did some work with a group of coaches on a recording that I put out recently about money and one of the coaches put it beautifully. Charge what feels right. What felt right to him at that time was what he was thinking of charging. So take that message. Charge what feels right. But also the other message. You're probably underestimating what you're worth. And I guess the third one from this video is you can play. You can play with money. You don't have to charge the, what you're going to charge in the end right now. You don't have to charge the same thing for any every client. You don't have to charge... Um, do the same engagement with every client. And those are some of the messages from this. But I'd also love to hear from you what you've taken from this this story that I've told about my fees. And I'd also uh, yeah, love to hear any other insights that come up, whether you're a coach or otherwise. Thanks very much. Uh, yes, the sound of another helicopter coming into Battersea Helipad during that one. Good to hear. Good to hear. Um, yes, it's a good video, that oh, that one, actually. No wonder it was well-watched. Uh, I like listening back to it. It's really practical and lots, lots of stuff in there. A few things to pull out. So one of the things I think, you know, that thing about our fee, that really helps. I did some work with a company called Coaching Partner at the time, um, and that was what the, the I think it was twelve hundred for eight sessions that I mentioned was, you know, and it's just like the problem, especially when you're starting out with this stuff and setting fees, is you feel like you're just making up the amount of money, and that's because you are, <laughs> and you, you're charging for this slightly strange thing as a coach, which is your time and attention, and that feels a bit weird anyway for some of us. Uh, and that when you're saying it, especially well, when you're saying it, and it's true, our fee is this then the energy that I had around that certainly was completely different to my fee is this, even though the this, which was my fee, was lower. Uh, I don't think it works so much. I don't think you can fake that stuff. I think that the thing that makes a difference is when the clients can feel that you're owning that money uh, and that fee. And so I'm not sure it'd work if you just pretend to have some colleagues and say our fee. It might do. Try it for yourself. Um, Try it for yourself. Uh, Another thing I wanted to catch was you know, there's that bit where I say no one signed up for the 12-month engagement. Um, they only ever bought the four-month one. Now, I think that part of that was because of the jump in fee. But I think there were definitely some people who would have signed. They, in fact, told me later on they would have signed up if I hadn't told them about the four-month option. But with the jump in fee from two to five grand or 1,500 to four grand being quite big um, and the... Uh, 
you know, then the, the and the and the time commitment uh, four or twelve feels like quite a big jump as well. That it, they really would have said yes if I to the twelve and paid the money and not felt ripped off at all if I hadn't offered them the four month engagement. And so I think that that piece that I said, which is offer clients the work and tell them you're doing this. This is the this is this is the proposal I would make to you for how to absolutely get from coaching with me the most value that you can given everything I've learned about you so far. And I don't have attachment to that. Sometimes people change their mind. I've had people I've had suggested six months to someone and told them why and then they've said no I want to do twelve and vice versa um more recently. So but I think that that thing, like you can have the menu and you can give everyone a menu of three or four ways of working with you if you want. But going back to leadership, which you spoke about in an earlier video, you know, bring the leadership. You know about coaching way more than your clients. And so if if you've got a strong feeling that 12 months is the right thing for you, tell them that because they need that help. And if they disagree, they'll tell you, like, you know, bring it with that same kind of non-attachment that you do to your coaching too. Um, the, a theme I wanted to pull out, which I didn't pull out so much, I kind of mentioned it a couple of times, is do the sums. So the money game with Joel made me do the sums on the money game. And uh, by implication, the money game made me do the sums for my life. But the truth is, work out, you need to work out how many clients at your current fee you would need to have in a year to make the amount of money you want to make. One of the great bits in the Prosperous Coach book is um, create your lifestyle first. Right. So how much money do you want to have? Just, you know, and for me, I, I worked in the charity sector most of my life. I don't need to make a huge amount of money um, to be making more money than I've ever made before. Um, but other people may have lifestyles and, and requirements that mean they need to make a lot more. But your number of clients needs to at some point be going to add up with that. And, you know, if if at the fee that you've got, you need to be creating six new clients a month or two new clients a week, that's a lot of work to be doing. Because if you're creating two new clients a week, you need to be meeting maybe four potential clients a week. And that means you need to have five or six contacting you because you don't meet everyone. It's like that the numbers quickly get uh, strained one way or another. So doing those sums, I think, is is really important. Um, and that's really what happened to me, uh, you know, when I was doing the Prosperous Coach Salon with Rich and playing with bigger, you know, I said I made some proposals at six and ten grand, even a bit more, I think, sometimes a couple of times for um, six or 12 months. And part of that was the playing the game, right? Of like, oh, I want to have, I, I want this to add up. I want to be more wealthy. I want to be more prosperous. And also the competition of being in a group program is great. It's like if Kristen and Minor are making $10,000 proposals, I was a bit, I felt a bit cheated in that program actually because I was making pound proposals and some of the others were making dollars proposals. And it was pre-Brexit. So, the, you know, the pound was stronger. Um, but, I, you know, I was like, I wanted to do that. And also I wanted, to, it like felt like a moment to celebrate when I'd made a 10,000 pound proposal and I'd sat there and I'd gone. It cost £10,000 to work with me. And again, the guy hadn't laughed in my face. And that's like, okay, you know, my energy changes around myself then. But then I I did the sums again. You know, I realized by that point, I didn't want to have more than five of my private clients at once to go with the way my business looked, um, to go with some associate work and some other bits and pieces and and the group programs that I run, that kind of thing. So the that meant uh, I realized that at you know, five private clients at seven grand each was another 35k plus the associate work plus the group program. And it's like, oh, this completely adds up for what I want. And once and then I just realized, ah, and then that's the minimum. And then if I if there's someone if I want to charge more at some point, I can. Uh, And I do my base is slightly higher than that now. 
I think I did eight and four and a half last time I spoke to someone, maybe something like that. And again, it varies a little bit in different ways. Yeah, a couple of clients at that level recently, but it hasn't really changed much in the last year. A couple of proposals higher than that, the odd little bit lower than that too. Um, and so those maybe are two more things I just want to bring in. One is... So first, there's that great bit in The Prosperous Coach where a lot of the time in the book they're talking about high-fee, high-achieving clients. And then there's a brilliant chapter written by Steve Chandler, I think, saying, yeah, but also fill your practice. If you haven't got any clients, you're not really a coach, it's okay to drop your fees. Uh, drop them to $30 a go. And then and then when you've got 100 clients or you, you're full, stop, you know, whatever it is. Like, put it up again and, and play with that. Like, it should be something you play with depending on what your energy is, the true energy. And, and that's hard because most of us have some some kind of stories about ourselves wrapped up in money. But be willing to charge high fees or low fees. Like there's no better or worse. It's just different ways of playing that stuff. But in a minute, I'll get that. But there is something about the amount of money you charge people, which is important. But just to throw in there at this point, which I guess is, it's a question a client asked me, a member of the Coaches Journey Group program last year, but it's also like... Um, you know, it goes back to that thing of what if my clients hear this podcast, you know, there's a sense of fairness that we worry about. And look, it. I mean, there are lots of ways to think about fairness and fees. And look, if a client of mine, and if, you, if, if someone's listening and they're like, what, you mean you charge some people less than me? It's like, you know, I'd be happy to talk to those clients about that. It doesn't kind of really happen that much because for various, well, just because like, it's only usually a few hundred pounds here or there. Um, and if a client came back and said, if I had a feeling, if I said it costs 10,000 pounds to work with me and then the client came back and said, yeah, I can't do that. It's like, well, if 7,000 pounds would make the difference, then we could probably talk about that and we probably would. But mostly that's not the case. And that's because the money isn't just about the money. And this is the last kind of important thing to say. When I first shared that money video, my coach Katie from episode one of the... Um, of this podcast, you know, said, oh, I thought you were going to talk about that and you didn't. And it, and it is like the money we pay for coaching changes our energy around it. And what I'm looking for with the fee that I'm proposing to someone is the sweet spot, the sweet spot that will get a client really bought into the work we're doing. I only want to coach people who really want to do the coaching, who are going to take it seriously, who are going to make the most of it, who are going to take action. And money can have an effect on that. What I don't want is it to flip people into serious money scarcity where they get tied up, where it's all they can talk about. And I say that to clients. Like, I tell them, look, if this is going to get you to that place, we shouldn't do it or we shouldn't do it now. And we can talk about how to do that. Um, and sometimes that means that if someone is really wealthy and they're coming to speak to me and I make a proposal of £7,000, that's just not going to make that big a deal to them. And eight, nine, ten might might more get them in that place of, I am going to absolutely make the most of this. And I, the reason I know how valuable that is is because I've paid more than I feel comfortable with, but not more than I can manage for coaching. I've paid a bit more than I could manage, and it got tense at times. So I'm careful of that with, with the people I work with. Um, and I guess, but but I know that it, that when you when you pay that little bit more than you're comfortable with at least, then it makes you make the most of the work we're doing. And that's really important. Last couple of things to say. Uh, one is um, I've offered quite a few times free coaching to people. Now, I, I feel pretty comfortable that because anyone who contacts me pretty much 
if I feel like they could be a potentially good client for me, I'm going to coach them for at least a couple of hours. So I'm going to do, that's my pro bono work for the most part. But I do occasionally, I have occasionally in the past offered a pay what you can engagement to people who I thought I could do powerful work with, but who, um, uh, who I was, conv- I felt who said they couldn't afford it. And I believed them that it was, because sometimes when people say I can't afford this, what they mean is this isn't important to me now <laughs> this isn't important enough for me to get resourceful and find the money for and i've had clients who have got resourceful and found the money um but where i really feel like money is the issue i've offered some pay what you can engagements to above a kind of hundred pounds a month i think floor usually i've offered it four or five times no one's ever taken me up on it so you know make what you can <laughs> of that it's really interesting and i should also say that most of the time at least once the fees got above like uh above a thousand pounds i've offered people a chance to pay in installments uh, for one-on-one work without a fee associated with that it's a bit awkward and i usually insist on a a, a maximum of four installments across the engagement they have to pay a thousand pounds up front now um, but I don't charge them interest or anything like that. They also, I ask them to schedule it up front because otherwise you get into this annoying admin thing and it gets into awkward conversations. Uh, so I do, with my group programs, I charge a fee if people are paying installments because the admin burden there is just bigger. And if all four people, five people who are doing it and they are all forgetting to pay their installments and I'm chasing everyone, we're having all these awkward conversations, I don't really want to do that. But I do offer people a chance to help with cash flow to pay in four installments over the six or 12 months, um, just because that's really been useful to me in some of the ways I've worked. So there's a few extra bits about how I work and about what I charge and all that kind of thing. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this slightly um, unconventional episode of the Coach's Journey podcast. Uh, back with a couple of the next couple of episodes will be definitely interviews uh, they're scheduled in with some really interesting guests really looking forward to to doing those and and sharing them with you um may come back with other episodes of just me in the future as i said at the start and um but until then obviously reach out if there's anything i can help with um if you've got any questions about this love to hear them in the comments or um on the youtube uh, actually there won't be a youtube video of this but in the comments on the blog post or send me an email or what or, or contact me on linkedin or whatever that is uh having these conversations is great i hope it's been useful and i hope you use it to create exactly the way of working and running your business that is right for you one of the great things about all this work that i'm doing with the coaches journey podcast is to to allow coaches to see the inside of other coaches work so that they can say ah i could do it like robbie does but would i choose to and that's real agency and it's power in, in creating um a business that serves you and creates the lifestyle that you want and enables you to keep doing this really important work coaching so thanks for listening and until next time hello everyone Robbie here again. One last thing just to share with you before you all head off to whatever the rest of your day holds. And that is that I have recently, as I'm recording this, launched the Coach's Journey community. Um, I wanted to come back to this episode because I think that this episode in particular captures some of what happens in the community calls and the Coach's Journey community. And if you've loved this episode, hearing me talk about all those different aspects of the coaching uh, the coaching business, life as a coach, those kind of things, you might be interested to join the community. Um, I created it as a way for me to support coaches who want to create thriving coaching businesses, who want to thrive as people while I do it, and who want to get to know other coaches who are on the journey too. Um, and I created it to be affordable and flexible 
which means that um, it starts membership starts from as, as little as about £10 a month. And you can, but if you want to be a full member when you get access to all 10 community calls each year, plus some one-on-one time with me, it costs about £100 a month. Um, but hopefully that means that people can engage with the price and the level of uh, engagement and commitment that, that really supports them. And if all this sounds interesting, um, you might want to head along to thecoachesjourney.com slash community. The community is also a way of supporting this podcast, helping it keep going, helping it reach more people. Um, and so, and if you're interested in that, but you're not interested right now in joining the community, you can also become a supporter of the podcast um, at thecoachesjourney.com or um, at patreon.com forward slash the coach's journey you can of course keep reaching out to me in any other of the ways i've mentioned um at the end of this episode uh, feel free to always message me ask any questions or, or or throw anything my way i'd love to help people um, in whatever way i can um and hope that i might see some of you on a coach's journey community coaching call someday soon so um other than that Best of luck with your coaching. Um, Keep up the great work. And uh, yeah, let me know if there's anything that I can help with. 